In January, we began looking at the letter of 1 Peter, and at Peter, this, this apostle of Jesus who walked with Jesus, and, and we know from the life of Peter that he was brash, he was, he was a go-get-em kind of guy, he, he made some mistakes, he, he got scared, he denied the Lord, but we also know that Peter, the Lord called him back. Jesus himself commissioned, recommissioned Peter to go and build the church after Jesus' resurrection. So, so Peter, this apostle of Jesus, he, he wrote this letter to the, to the early church, to early Christians who at that time were scattered, who were dispersed from Rome. And this letter, it's not just a history lesson, it's not just a message for the church in those days, it's a, it's a letter to the church now in 2021. Peter says thus far, Peter says that because of what Jesus has done in our lives, that we are to look and we are to live differently. And last time, Peter said to abstain from lusts of the flesh. It's a challenge and a distraction from the things of God, these lusts of the flesh. When we take our eyes off of the Lord, our eyes will lead us to areas which we will regret. How we live and how we act, our character is noticed by all of those around us, and and we have a responsibility with our behavior to point everyone around us to the gospel. And it's a lot easier to do that if we don't keep surrounding ourselves and our lives with our own collateral damage. We are to honor civil authority by obeying civil laws. If we represent Jesus, we should try to stay on task for the conduct. And last time, Peter, he ended with verse 17 there in chapter 2. He said, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And and as we saw last time, it's a whole lot easier to, to honor a, a human king, a, a human authority, if one has made peace with the heavenly king of kings. And this morning, Peter is going to begin the next section of the letter, and it's 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 18. We will, we will go to the end of the chapter there in verse 25. So as you're turning to that, as we begin, I, I want you to hold on to an image in the back of your minds. And it's an image to which we can all relate. The picture actually began to to form when we were children, when you and I would ask that famous question, how much further? How much further? That that last mile. Years ago when I would drive home from college in in Tennessee, that final stretch from, from Withville, Virginia to Galax, Virginia, 35 mile stretch, it would take forever. It would take forever. And, and then years later when I was driving from Roanoke to, to go see my fiancé in Kentucky, that last 70 miles from Lexington to Louisville, Kentucky would take forever. <laughs> that image of that long last mile. So hang on to that picture. Peter starts this morning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. When we see words like servants, some translations will use slaves. I mean, this is, wow, this is, this is prickly, bristly language in 2021. When looking at Scripture, we have to look at the original context, the original audience in which it was written. 
We have a responsibility to do that as we look at it, how it applies today. We have to see how it applied in, in its original context. And, and the original context, it frames the message for today. God's Word doesn't change, but it does set the context. And, and regarding this picture of being a servant, there's a, a preacher, a, a Bible teacher named Wayne Grudem, and he wrote the following. He said this, The horrible degradation of slaves in 19th century America gives this word, which Peter uses, a far worse connotation than is accurate for most of the society to which Peter was writing. It must be remembered that first century slaves were generally well-treated and were not only unskilled laborers but often managers, overseers, trained members of various professions, doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, skilled artisans, there was legislation, in fact, regulating the treatment of slaves. They were normally paid for their services and could expect eventually to purchase their freedom. But not all of those who were in authority treated those servants, those house servants, kindly. However, Peter is saying these servants are to obey. They're to, to submit to those in authority who willed unrestricted power. Uh, and they're to, to do this with reverence and respect to not only those in authority who are good and gentle, but to those who are crooked, wicked, unreasonable. And Peter says, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. This finds loving kindness, goodwill, conscience toward God. And we're going to see that phrase in just a minute. Called to endure, called to suffer, to endure affliction which is unjust, which is undeserved. And Peter himself heard Jesus teach this. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says these well-known words. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And we're not, we're not house servants in 2021, but this applies to us. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And then Jesus says this, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. He's saying that's not really much of an effort there to, to love those who are like you, who, are treat, who treat you the way you want to be treated. That's not much of a stretch. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies. Do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Wow! And then Jesus says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Peter, in verse 19, used this phrase, for the, If for the sake of conscience toward God... In essence, one must be conscious of God's presence. Grudem made this statement. It's the trusting awareness 
of God's presence and never-failing care, which is the key to righteous suffering. It's being aware that, that God is there and God cares for you and God cares for me. It's the confidence that God will ultimately right all wrongs which enables a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment, rebelliousness, self-pity, or despair. Let me read what, what Wayne Grudem said. Let me read that one more time. It's the confidence that God will ultimately right all wrongs which enables a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment, rebelliousness, self-pity, or despair. Wow. Peter says in verse 20, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Uh, Another translation casts that verse this way. How is it to your credit if you receive mistreatment for doing wrong and you endure it? That's not unlike what Jesus just said. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that's commendable before God. Evidently, many of these early Christians, and we see this in the New Testament a lot, they're in servant roles. This theme of respect toward authority is seen more than once. 1 Timothy chapter 6, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. It's it's like what we, we said last time. What we saw last time is that our witness matters. When we are living and we have those over us in authority, we are to treat them with respect and with honor because we, we are representing Jesus. We're carrying Jesus with us. Before we move on to, to, to Christ as our example, I want to say one more thing about servitude, which... which it's an, it's an awkward subject to even talk about, but, but I want to share this. this is, these are words from the old pulpit commentary. It was only natural that men should feel uneasy and irritable under the yoke of slavery as they came to learn the equality of all men in the sight of God and to understand the blessed privileges and the high hopes of Christians. The apostles counseled submission and resignation to the will of God. Slavery was an unnatural institution. I would say, and I would agree, slavery is an unnatural institution. And these old writers said this, it must in time disappear under the softening influences of the gospel. But Christian slaves were to wait in faith and patience. And we saw that earlier, this idea of waiting, waiting on the Lord. And, and one more thing about, about servitude. I mean, even the word slavery is uncomfortable even to say. That's, that's been a hot button in our, in our language, in our, in our conversation in the last seasons. We want to make sure, especially as a church who prays and intercedes for our culture and our community, we have 
servitude and slavery going on even today with human trafficking. We know of organizations in our region, in our valley, that are helping and assisting with survivors of human trafficking. And thanks be to God for these individuals and these organizations who have been raised up to, to help provide assistance and counseling and direction and, and, and healing from, from those persons who are, caught, who are caught in that. So we want to make sure that we don't relegate servitude to an era that's bygone. Let me move on. Christ is our example. Verse 21, Peter says this, For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. Called out. We've been called out. We've been summoned. Christ himself has left us an example. He has given us a model to to copy, a model to imitate, to follow close after. His, his tracks, his footsteps, his tracks of ill treatment. One, one writer, a man named Edmund Clowney, said it like this. If we're called to follow Christ, then we're, we're called to suffer. And I would add to that, we're, we're called to the, the possibility and the probability of suffering. If we are called to follow Jesus, we, we've got to know that that's on the table. Jesus endured tracks of ill treatment, and and we're to follow in that. We've got to expect that. One writer put it this way, Do good, suffer patiently, because we don't suffer alone, and thanks be to God. We are not alone in our suffering. We are to follow his footsteps. Wayne Grudem wrote this. He said, When one is suffering unjustly, trust in God and obedience to God are not easy. (laughs) Amen. But they are deepened, through undeserved affliction. And God is thereby more fully glorified. God is glorified with how well and how godly we suffer. We have to depend on the Word of God to to even be able to understand that. When we read that, to see that, because that totally goes against the grain of how we think. Peter, in verse 22, he he says, He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Peter is quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah, in this passage, is pointing to one called the suffering servant, the Messiah. Isaiah is pointing to Jesus, and he says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah 53 verse 9 reads, He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And, and then Peter says this about Jesus in verse 23. And, and while being abusively insulted, Jesus Christ did not insult in return. While suffering, he didn't threaten, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The NIV writes it like this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, the the Heavenly Father. They vilified him. He did not return abuse for abuse. He suffered ill treatment 
and he didn't make threats. Jesus didn't feel the need on that night he was arrested and they had that mock trial. Jesus didn't feel the need to have the last word. He committed himself to his heavenly father, the righteous judge. Let me read you one more thing that Wayne Grudem says. The instinctive response of human beings when so abused is to try to get even. We can all relate to that. (laughs) To hurt in return for being hurt. Or if that is impossible, people will threaten to get even later. Trying to give their enemies at least the anxiety that revenge may be taken sometime in the future. But these responses... These responses are natural only to people who depend on themselves and believe that God does not have control of the situation. This knowledge that God will ultimately right all wrongs is essential to a Christian response to suffering. God has put, Grudem says this, for God has put within us all a sense of justice which will not allow us to simply forget wrongs suffered for which we think there will be no punishment for those who've done them. We're hardwired to remember injustice. We're hardwired to remember when we've been mistreated. But do we trust in one that we believe will take care of all of that? And Peter says this in verse 24, Christ himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, Jesus himself, took up our sins in his body on the cross. This one who did no wrong, this one who unjustly suffered on our behalf, took up our sins so that we might die to sin. And die means exactly that, to depart from life, to to cease from living so that we might cease to sin. He, He took up our sins in his body on the cross so that we would not just die to sin, but that we would live for righteousness. An old writer said it like this, righteousness is simply the opposite of sin. I like the way that's stated. Obedience, submission to the will of God. That's righteousness. And then Peter quotes Isaiah one more time. By his wounds you were healed. Isaiah, way back when in the Old Testament, could look to a day when one would come and pay the sin penalty for all men's and all women's and all children's sin. Isaiah 53.5, Isaiah's writing of the Messiah. He was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And Peter says this lastly. He says, For you were, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the, and the guardian of your souls. You know, it's in our nature to roam, isn't it? It's in our nature to, to, to follow our own path, to roam. And, and if we were to look at that, back at that passage in Isaiah 53, we would see that the very next verse, in verse 6, would read this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But this morning, now in verse 25, Peter says, You have returned. There's been a turning back from roaming. A turning back to the shepherd and the guardian of the soul. You know, if we've all gone astray like sheep, and we have in our sin, 
it, it seems like the shepherd is the one for the job of bringing us back. And that's what Jesus has done. Peter also uses the word guardian. And I can't think of a better image. I mean, a shepherd guards his flock, doesn't he? Well, Jake, all of this sounds good. All of this, wow, it sounds good. And it sounds like the way that I ought to handle mistreatment. But, as my father says, but, but, you don't know my story. You don't know what happened to me. And there it is. Aha, there it is. We're not house servants. We're, we're not indentured slaves. But this right here hits us all where we live. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what happened to my wife or my husband. You don't know what my kids had to endure. And I don't know your story, but I know mine. And I know that sometimes things happen. I know that unjust things happen. I know betrayal. I know what it's like to share a meal with a Judas. I know what it's like to sit around a whole table full of Judases, Judas plural. I know. But, but, the hard thing that no one wants, if we're called to follow, we're called to the possibility and the probability of suffering. And, and Peter said this, I also know that we've been called for this purpose because Christ has suffered for you and he suffered for me. And he's leaving you and, he, and he's leaving me an example which to follow so that we would follow in the steps of Jesus. The, the, the steps of one who committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, Jesus did not insult in return. But while he suffered, Jesus didn't threaten. But he kept entrusting himself to him, his Father, who judges righteously. Our example to follow, Jesus didn't have to have the last word, even though we feel like we have to. <laughs> Our example kept entrusting himself to the Heavenly Father, the righteous judge. The Son trusted the Father because the Son loved the Father. Love and trust. And therein lies the question. Do you love the Lord? Yes. I know you do. But do you trust Him? Do you really trust Him to make everything right in His time? Who knew that there was such a long distance between love and trust. That last mile, that, that long last mile between love and trust. That distance which feels like forever. 
because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are, as, as Peter told us back in verse 9 of this chapter, we are a chosen people, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Once unwanted, once unclaimed, we have been purchased with nothing less than the blood of Jesus. We proclaim the kindness of the Lord because we have experienced the kindness of the Lord. The Lord has given us nothing less, nothing less than Himself. And as a result, what Jesus has done in our lives should impact and influence how we live. So I ask you and I ask me one more time, do you love Him enough to trust Him? You're able to do that if you have trusted Him for salvation. Peter told us this morning, there in verse 22, he, he said, He who committed no sin, nor any deceit was found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, Christ did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And Peter knew this firsthand. How did Peter know this? On the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal, all four Gospels tell us that, that Peter followed behind the entourage that arrested Jesus. And, and all four Gospels have it, but Luke 22 says it this way. They arrested Jesus, they, they brought him to the house of the high priest. And Peter is following at a distance. And there's a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and, and Peter is sitting among the group, and he's kind of wormed his way in. He's hiding out while Jesus is on trial. And, and this slave woman says, this man was with Jesus. Peter denies it. And a little bit later, another person sees Peter and he says, you're one of them. Peter says, man, I'm not. And then a little while later, another man began to insist, certainly this man was with Jesus. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you were talking about. And immediately, while Peter is still speaking, the rooster crows. And then Luke twenty two sixty one says this, And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. From across the courtyard, across the portico, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter was there, and he could see, even as he had denied Jesus... Those three times which Jesus told him earlier that evening that he would, Peter saw that even as he had done this, that Jesus did, didn't insult those that were giving him a mock trial. Jesus didn't threaten. But as you know, the story doesn't end there. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus calls and commissions Peter back into the ministry to go back and build the church. And Jesus tells Peter three times to take care of, of his sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know that I do, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Tend to my sheep. And, and Peter reminds us this morning that, that Jesus calls us back to. We saw that in that very last verse. In verse 25, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So regardless of where you find yourself this day, regardless of where you might find yourself this morning, the Lord has turned and the Lord is looking at you. And the Lord is saying, if you love me, 
If you love me, then you can make it across that long last mile and you can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me in your suffering because you can trust me with your salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we we see these beautiful words, these hard words which Peter shares. But Lord, they hit us all where we live because we all know what it's like to deal in situations when life is unfair, when we are dealing with mistreatment. But Lord, you've given us the very best example of endurance. You've given us your son. And we're thankful that it's not just an example on a page, it's a living, real-life example who, who He died for us, He was buried for us, He was raised to life for us, resurrected for us, and He is now with you in heaven interceding for us. And He has given us His Spirit for all of us who've trusted in what He did for us on the cross. We have the very life of God inside of us, helping us deal and live lives that are battered with things that are unfair. Father, thank you for Jesus. We're thankful for for His cross. It's in your Son's strong name we pray. Amen.